Welcome to The Wondering Mind, a podcast where we have candid conversations in hopes to break mental health stigmas and normalize speaking up about our mental health. Through this podcast, we will connect you to a diverse range of folks from all around the world who have struggled with their mental health but have learned to weather through the storm. By listening to their stories, you may begin to feel empowered, less alone, and you may discover new ways that will help you navigate through your own mental health struggles. So sit back, relax, and remember, everyone's story matters. Welcome to the Wondering Mind podcast. I'm your host, Emily Elizabeth. Joining me today, I have Lauren Muir. She is one of the founders of Martin and Muir Counseling, and she's also a new friend of mine that I got introduced to from Amanda Villavises with Mental Health Louisville. We are now working on a project together, and (laughs) it's one of the bajillion other things that she's doing now. And we're going to talk all about her life, how crazy it is, how she handles it, how she manages her mental health, all the things. So welcome, Lauren. Yes. Thank you, Emily. I'm so, I'm so excited to be here. I've, I've been listening to your podcast. I love it. So I'm really honored to be able to be a guest on here tonight. Well, thank you for listening. <laughs> that makes me happy. Yeah. And yeah, I, I reached out to you because I was like, oh my gosh, why haven't I asked Lauren to be on my show yet? You're a therapist, you're a mom, you're a wife, you're into all these different things right now. We were just talking about your newest endeavor of being a mindset coach, and you're also helping me with the MindFest Festival, and you're doing the Show Up Summit. So how do you keep all of this together (laughs) how do you not lose it when you're trying to maintain your home life and all the other things like what do you how does that look like for you that is the question of (laughs) of the hour (laughs) um I think so that's an interesting question because I I am I do I do all the things but it hasn't always been easy and this I think past year has really been a learning year for me to really look into my own why of why I do all these things. So I'll jump right in like a few few months ago through the pandemic, like you said, I'm a therapist. We work th- with um, a very vulnerable population. A lot of our students and families that we work with are from West End Louisville, obviously have been impacted by trauma, poverty, gun violence, all the things. So I think for the first time in my professional career, everything really got to me and built up. And I actually, I texted you this morning because I listened to one of your other podcasts about this whole concept of hidden depression. And I could relate to that so much because I think during the pandemic, I was just kind of surviving and didn't even realize that. And one day during a therapy session, my client said, how did you, I think she said something like, how did you keep it all together? How did you handle all this? And in that instant, I really like thought to myself, like, I don't know. I had never stopped to think about it. And then I realized like, oh, I I don't even know how I did it. I really was just surviving. So long story short, all that built up. 
I was feeling anxious. I could feel it in my body. And I've had periods of time in my life before that I had symptoms of anxiety or felt anxious, but I could always shake it and let it go. And it got to a point where I could no longer shake that feeling. I was going to bed like that. I was waking up like that. And honestly, I broke down to my husband one day and I was like, I am not myself. And like you said, based on all the things you just described, I'm typically the strong one. I'm the one that puts a smile on my face. I'm the strong one. I keep it going. I don't let things hold me back. Um, and for the first time in a long time in my life, I realized yeah, I'm not okay and, and I've got to get help. And as a therapist, that's not an easy thing to do. One, because you feel like you do have to be the strong one. And two, finding a therapist in Louisville is very small. The therapy world's even smaller. I chose to find a black therapist because I'm a biracial female and um, the black therapy world's even smaller. So I'm like, who can I go to? And that can keep all my secrets. <laughs> you know what I mean? um, and that's yeah. the one thing I tell my clients, you got to trust your therapist and hear me, the therapist were, was not willing to trust the therapist. So. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I don't know if that answered your question, but yeah, here I am. No, it does, because you answered it by saying you kind of took the time to slow down and recognize what was actually going on with your emotions. And then you took the initiative to go ahead and just make a therapy appointment. And like you said, being a therapist and being a mom and taking on all these endeavors, you you do kind of have to. I feel like our culture kind of just ingrains it in our minds that we feel as though we have to be strong and that mm -hmm. if we break down everything else that we're involved in is just going to like shatter to pieces and that's right. not the case that's only going to happen if you refuse to take care of yourself but sometimes we get so caught up in everything that we're doing and all the other people that we're trying to take care of that much like yourself it you the hidden depression creeps in and the anxiety and then you're like wait a minute <laughs> what's happening here <laughs> yes yes and I think that what I've learned um, over the past few weeks is like you said, I do all the things because that's that's just who I am. And, and some people get it, some people don't. But I, lo I love every part of what I do. I'm a therapist. I'm learning. I think being an entrepreneur, being a business owner has then opened up a creative side to me that I didn't even maybe know I had. So then that turns into speaking and planning mental health festivals and writing and coaching and all these awesome things. Um, I think there was this fear that if I slowed down from all of that, I couldn't still do all those things or be successful. But in the past few weeks, I've really taken a step back to go for a walk by myself, take a nap, you know, all these things. And guess what? The world is still going on and I'm still doing all these things. <laughs> you know, I'm like, who knew? Who knew I could relax and take a nap? And guess what? I can still be a mom, a therapist and a coach. Like, so I've been really intentional lately just at planning things that are just for me. I can relate to that entirely. And I'm sure a lot of other people can too, in the sense of if you take time to rest or slow down from all the things that you're doing, you feel like for me personally, I felt like I was going to lose interest or I was going to fall behind yes. or people were going to lose interest in what I was doing. And I think the first time I took like a legitimate break from the podcast was a few months ago. And I took like two weeks of just not doing anything regarding it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Oh my God, I was freaking out. I was like, I'm going to lose everyone. No one's going to listen anymore. Like right. I'm going to 
you know, lose interest because I have ADHD. So that's a thing. And honestly, it was the best two weeks ever because before that I was starting to burn myself out Mm -hmm. and I was starting to get to that point. And then I kind of recognized that. And it's like, you have to be able to kind of catch yourself in those moments because if you do burn yourself out, like all the things you're trying to do aren't going to work. So taking that two weeks and like yourself taking the time to take a nap and go for a walk, like things are going to keep going and that's going to help your mental health. You're going to be feel more, you know, clear about where you're going and what you want to do and how you want to do it. But it's hard to do for some reason, for so many people, it's really hard to do. It's very hard to do. But like you said, because of all those negative cycles that we play in our head of you know, what if this means I'm a failure? What if this means I'm missing out? What if, you know, what if people, you know, don't follow me, don't do this, don't do that. And I think that's a big thing that I've learned also just in my recent healing process is stopping to look at, um, identified in therapy, just based on my own trauma history, I'm a people pleaser. And so a lot of what I do sometimes is for other people. And so stopping to think about even like the choices I make, not making them so impulsively, but am I really doing this for me because it what, it's what makes me happy or am I doing it for other people? And so that's been, I think what's been kind of exciting recently is being able to have the platform with the Show Up Summit Tribe and bring all these women together or the writing that I've been doing or even planning the mental health festival. Like those are choices I made for me because that's what makes me happy to go impact people as a whole and be able to change lives or that's, that's my goal is hopefully I'm changing <laughs> lives, right. Um, in bigger groups and mass amounts of people. How did you kind of do that? Because I know kind of just like being self-aware that takes a lot of time and practice and effort. So how did you end up getting to that point of where you were able to ask yourself, wait a second, am I doing this for me or am I doing this for someone else? Because I feel like so many people, when they are people pleasers due to whatever reason, they're kind of on autopilot. So it's hard for a lot of people to like take that step back because they're just going, going, going. So Mm -hmm. how do you, what would you suggest? I think um, a very simple tool, um, my therapist, she's amazing. I love her. (laughs) And a very simple tool that she gave me was um, we started talking about just that whole concept of trauma and how it still plays, you know, in my mind and my body, the choices I make right now. And we made a timeline, like a timeline of all, all of these choices that I made and then made split it up into two columns. Which of these choices did I make for them, whoever them might be, uh, my mom, my dad, my husband, my friends, society, you know, um, and what are the choices that I made for me? And then we kind of started to have this conversation to analyze. Because what you find, or at least what I found, was even some of the choices that I made maybe for other people still turned out with a good ending. So at the time, maybe I shouldn't have made that choice for someone else, but it's almost kind of like, thank God I did, because now, you know, without that choice, I wouldn't have X, Y, Z. And then other choices that I made for me, then I can look and be like, oh, well, that was awesome. I, I, at that point, I was really confident and I didn't care what anybody else thought, you know, I made that <laughs> for me. So how do I do more of that? And I think that a lot of times I'm 37, which is hard to admit up until this year, I only claim to be 32. So I'm just now playing. <laughs> you don't look um, 37, not that that's old, but you don't. <laughs> um, I think as like, um, being 37, getting, you know, getting close to 40, being a mom, um, I have three kids, 
being a wife. I've been with my husband for 15 years. So we've been together since we were 21. I think it's easy to get wrapped up in the day-to-day of being a mom and a wife, right? So there is part of you, um, even though I have a great, I have a great group of girlfriends, I have lots of different types of girlfriends. And that's a priority to me is to, you know, maintain those connections. But on some level, you do lose this kind of sense of identity of like who you are just as a person, because your day-to-day life is giving to your husband, to your kids, to sports, to schedules. And you know what I mean? So I think it's really important to kind of step back and be aware of what does make you happy and how you hold on and, and maybe even redevelop like what that sense of identity is, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm really glad you brought that up because a lot of moms, I mean, I'm not a mom, but I have examples in my life where I can see that happening or has happened where they, they lose their identity completely. And that's been a big fear of mine because I mean, right now I don't want to have kids. It's like a whole thing, (laughs) but I, at least I get nervous because I'm like, oh my God, if I have a kid, I know, like, I just have that personality where I would just be devoured and yeah, I would lose everything. And I feel like so many women and, or parents can feel or relate to that. So with your situation of being a mom and like you said, all your kids doing sports and all cheerleading and all the things. And then your husband, you know, you have to spend time with him and then your social groups and then all the other stuff you're doing. That's a lot. lot (laughs) That gives me anxiety just thinking about it. So how were you able to come to the conclusion that you needed to do things for yourself. And then once you came to that conclusion, how did you schedule and navigate through so that everyone kind of had time with you? I I mean, I think in the past I was very much so what you, I mean, I've always been an overachiever, I would say, um, driven by success. It's, I mean, look, if we're going to go real deep, I always, (laughs) I talk about like just trauma history like I felt like I was pushed to be like superwoman like pushed to be all the things that my mom wasn't you know Mm -hmm. and that turned out to be like my greatest weakness and my greatest strength like one of my greatest or maybe a weakness because I do do all these things right but doing all those things has made me the successful person that I am right now so learning to find a better balance but there was definitely a time that I had more I worked all the time And that did affect my relationship with my kids and my husband, like, you know, and not that it affected with my kids, but them saying like, mom, why are you always working? Mom, you got to go to work again, like things like this. But on some level, I felt like I had to do that to build the life, you know, that I wanted for them to have. So I think over the years, I've gotten better about finding that balance. As far as how that changed, like when I broke down that day and went to therapy, I I didn't want to end my life, but I knew that I couldn't go on feeling the way I felt in that moment. So something had to change. I was always a very pen and paper person when it came to scheduling. I think digit, um, like a digital calendar, or go- I use Google Calendar, has been the best thing ever because then I block the time. I block the time with my kids. I block mm. the time I'm going to spend on coaching. I block the time I'm going to spend writing. I block the time I'm doing therapy. I block the time I'm doing meetings. And if there's one more time, then the world's not going to end. Something's <laughs> going to move till next week. If I don't get something done, I had to give myself some grace. Talked a lot about that with clients through the pandemic, 
we can't have the same expectations that we have for ourselves now as we did back then. And so I had to readjust my own expectations for myself. Prior to the pandemic, all my kids were in um, elementary school. My in-laws would take them after school and keep them so I could work longer hours because my husband works late. Now we're in the pandemic. They can't go to my in-laws. They were, you know, I was working from home. They were having school from home. I can't work the same that I used to, you know? So I think changing expectations, blocking things out on my calendar to really be intentional about time. Because obviously when you're balancing all the things, time becomes money and time is crucial. <laughs> and there ain't a lot of time. <laughs> There's not a lot of time in the world. But I also think what people don't see is it is a balance. So I think a lot of times, especially for people who aren't, um, aren't working for themselves right now, I don't work your typical nine to five job. So people see also because there's this um, concept on social media, right? Like you only see part of my life on social media where I'm at all these events and I'm doing all these things. What people don't see is I take my kids to school every day and I pick them up every day. You know what I mean? People don't see that I'm running around to practice. Now that may mean that at nine or 10 o'clock at night, I'm signing off on therapy notes or writing content, but there's a big block of time from three to seven, I'm all about my family and nothing gets in the way of that. You know, there's also times like Sundays is my one day. I, I don't do anything work-related. Like that's my day to recover, spend with my family. Saturdays, I usually don't. If I do have a meeting or something, I'll do it Saturday morning, but I try not to work um, Saturday night. So I think just creating, you know, balance and structure and working hard, but making sure that you have that play hard time as well. No, that's a really good suggestion. And honestly, it, it's crazy because it seems so simple to just like create a schedule. But mm-hmm. for some folks, it's really hard to do because they just either get overwhelmed or they don't feel like they can fit certain things in. And yeah, but I mean, at the end of the day, you kind of just have to hone in on what's really important and what you have to do and recognize that nothing's going to be successful, whether it's your home life, your social life, the work life, if you cannot get organized. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I think two of the other big things is like one, um, not being afraid to ask for help. Ooh, that's a big one. Yes. Like I do a lot of things, but I've got a great tribe. Like I do have my, my mom isn't here, but my husband's parents are. So they're a huge support system with me when it comes to my helping with my kids. Cause like I said, my husband works really long hours. So he's not there after school. I also have like, I call them my cheer mom tribe because my <laughs> girls are really into cheer. So we help each other with practices and covering and whatnot. But I think that's the other thing too, is people see that I do a lot of things, but what they don't see is I have all these other people. Like we have a virtual assistant. We have somebody that runs my social media. You know what I mean? So I have all these other helpers that helped me do a lot of what's going on or there's no way I would be able to get it all done. And then the third thing I think that's been really important is like building a tribe of like-minded individuals. So I love like JD Graham is who I do the show up summit with. Renisha Martin is my business partner, even meeting you and working through this. Or there's also a small group of therapists that we just started meeting. We call ourselves like our little accountability group. (laughs) Um, And a lot of them I didn't know. They're amazing. And funny enough, there's like six or seven of us. We're all the same. We're all these high achievers, say yes to everything. I felt like I was at home. I was like, I found my people. Like they had seven things going on as well. 
but what was cool is then we could all share um, I learned a lot about different apps and way to organize and way, you know, so find people that are like you and learn from each other. You know what I mean? So you can work smarter and and not harder. I'm really glad you brought that up. The fact that people only see a certain amount of things on social media, which is kind of a, a mind fuck because yes. a lot of the time it that people will try and portray things like this is really my life. Like this is, you know, and I'm doing this all myself. And sometimes I've gotten imposter syndrome or I've compared myself to other people. And I'm like, how in the hell did they do this all on their own? And the truth is much like you said, they don't, they just don't share that. So the fact that you shared that you have other people helping you, that is how you're successful is key because a lot of people, myself included, struggle with asking for help when it comes to certain projects or certain things and I don't know I guess it's just something that we have to hear more of people need to start sharing that be more transparent so that other people can recognize like hey you cannot do this all on your own like it starts with an idea you can implement it you can work you can only work so far and be as you know as successful as like that point will take you and then you have to recognize like all the successful things were done by a tribe a group right right right. and I think yeah because like you said on social media you only see like snippets of people's life they call it like a highlight reel like you just Mm -hmm. see the highlight reel of people's lives on social media but unless so it looks like on the outside like oh Lauren's doing all these things and she's so (laughs) confident and she's amazing and right but my close people tribe knows at nine o'clock on a Thursday Lauren's crying because she feels like she's the worst mother ever because she just argued with her 12 year old daughter who is going through whatever crisis of the day um or just like everybody else you know what I mean I struggle with mental health and anxiety myself and that I mean that really has been a game changer reaching out to a therapist even medication I was somebody who very much is more on the holistic side so I've been putting it off forever I feel like and so I finally chose to start some medication something we didn't even tap into. It wasn't just about the anxiety, but um, a year ago I got diagnosed with fibromyalgia and that's been something that I've really uh, haven't accepted until I started this therapeutic process. I think it was like, okay, well you said that, but I'm going to pretend like that's not happening to me. But I think that led to kind of the depression as well as I was in so much pain. Mm. Um, and, but I, I'm a, you know, I'm a busybody. I don't like to sit still. <laughs> so I was still going, going, going. So the medication they put me on was not only for anxiety, but for nerve pain. And once I started that and that pain went away, that has been a huge game changer in my day-to-day life. So I'm just, I'm just learning and trying to navigate all this while running. running (laughs) (laughs) So aside from therapy, and I love that you brought that up too, because you're a therapist and a lot of therapists don't talk about the fact that they go to therapy. I feel like it's becoming more of a discussed topic, but people need to realize like everybody needs therapy at the end of the day. Like therapists go through a lot when they're talking to their clients and it's hard for a lot of people, I guess, that are therapists to not take that in as their own. And Mm -hmm. so being able to speak to someone else and kind of pass that along, you know, it it helps. I mean, talking through it and figuring it all out with someone else really helps. Um, But 
talking also too about your anxiety and your depression, because you said, you know, there are nights where you kind of just break down. I mean, all of us do that. We have to, I mean, crying is like a form of therapy and healing when you're in those mindsets or when you previously were before you were on medication, how are you able to get yourself out of that in order to show up for everyone else and all the things that you were doing and show up for yourself too? Cause it's really hard to do, mm-hmm. especially when you've been diagnosed with something so serious as that. And then you have anxiety and depression on top of that. It's a lot. So how are you able to get yourself out of that dark place? I think part of it is kind of like the buildup. I didn't even realize, I didn't even realize I was in that dark of a place. And then all of a sudden it kept, it kind of crept up, but I knew that things were different. Like I knew that like normally my alarm goes off and I bounce out of bed and I'm ready to start the day. Right. And then it would turn into like, okay, my alarm goes off and I'm really having to tell myself like, you've got to get out of bed. You know what I mean? So I maybe got out of bed, but I maybe didn't take a shower. Right. I put, it was easy, especially in the pandemic, it was easy to throw on leggings and a, um, a shirt and get on a telehealth call and just go Mm -hmm. through the motions. And then with the pain, I think it was also like the pain from the fibromyalgia. It was like, okay, well, I'm feeling this way, but I've still got things to do. Like, I'm not going to let this keep me from going to cheer you know, cheer competitions and track meets and whatever. But then what I would do is go to those things. And it's almost like, then I would come home and I mean, be crying and you know what I mean? Cause I was in that much pain, which would then just feed into that cycle that caused mm-hmm. the depression. And then I was getting anxious because I had to get up the next day and I knew I was going to be in pain and just all these things were spiraling. So I think I was able to show up for other people. One, because that's my job, you know, like <laughs> as a therapist, uh, even if you're having your worst day, I got to still show up for you and not, and not let that show. I've always been a positive person. I think like resilient, like comes to mind, like even my childhood story, you know what I mean? Like I was resilient through all that. So I've always been one that even though this is your situation now, you gotta, you gotta be positive and look forward and like this can change. So I think I was telling myself like this will only be temporary, but it kept going on and on. I was like, okay, this isn't temporary. Matter of fact, it's getting worse. <laughs> so I've got to do something about that. Are you looking for a new way to relax and center your mind? Do you live in Louisville, Kentucky? Be sure to check out Weightless Float Center and Distillery Commons. And when booking online, use promo code TWM for 20% off your first session. I like the fact that you said staying positive through that helped you a lot, which is again, really hard for a lot of people to do. And I Mm -hmm. feel like maybe not positive, but, but hopeful. Yeah. Because, you know, positive brings to mind, like, and I feel like you would feel the same, like when you're in like a dark mindset or when you're depressed like that, being positive is not always like the best option, but being hopeful trying to be hopeful in that mindset or like thinking of what you want for your future and like trying to work through what you're going through to get there just kind of setting yourself up for like another thing that you want to accomplish or do you know to keep yourself going 
Mm-hmm. And I think it's important also to like listen to your own mind and body. Cause I think in some ways, when I looked back, I think I was trying to tell people without flat out saying I'm depressed, you know what I mean? But again, like when you're somebody who is like the strong one, the go-getter, the ambitious one, um, people are like, well, no, it's just a phase. Well, no, you're, you know, even like I'm trying to tell them, I'm like, I feel like I'm going crazy. No, you're not crazy. You're just doing all the things. And, Mm. you know, you have all this going on. And even my own husband, like that day that I broke down to him and I'm like, I'm not okay. I have to do something different. So I started going to therapy. I started the medication. It's been, I guess, about three months. I think I started it in no, not even two months ish. But anyway, just the other day, um, he was like, it's so good to see you happy. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, I honestly couldn't tell how much that was weighing on you until you started the medication wow. and you started, the, um, started going to therapy. So I think even for him, because he's used to seeing me in one way, he didn't even necessarily recognize it you know, when you get like that, you're, um, I was much quicker to snap or, you know, they come in and say, mom, can we do this? I'm like, no, leave me alone. Like, no, I can't. Yeah, go. And I found that I'm like so much more patient and they've even recognized, like said things, my older daughter's 12. And, um, she's like, you're so much nicer these days. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, because I'm like, life is great. I don't, I don't care what people think for. This is me. This is me. So I don't know, but it really, I mean, it has, it's been the best thing. And I wish I would have started therapy so long ago. So anybody who's listening and contemplating starting therapy, um, I promise in most cases, you will not regret it because it really, it's a beautiful thing to really learn who you are and let go of some of those things and start to, you know, just take care of yourself and fall in love with yourself over again, you know, like after going through all that. Amen. And it's really hard to do, you know, but like you said, people are more resilient than they recognize and they even know. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, if you overcome one little hurdle regarding your mental health, you're like, oh, well, I can do that. Like, that's fine. It's just like with anything else in life, like you kind of have to take baby steps. And once you start, you just kind of keep going because it makes you feel so much better. Yes. But yeah, so I kind of want to, I want to ask you an, a question regarding therapy, but like for you. So why did you decide to start your own private practice? Ooh, a good question. Um, we started, well, honestly, we started um, in the beginning because at the time we had contracted for several different agencies. So we kind of learned the ins and outs of how to open a private practice. And we learned what we kind of liked and what we didn't like. And we're like, hey, we can do this together. Um, And so we actually started working in elementary schools like King Elementary, Roosevelt, uh, Perry Elementary. People wanted us to come in and do ADHD groups for young kids and address like ADHD and behaviors. That's awesome. So that's kind of how it started. Um, But Renisha and I in general have always had a passion for working with youth, um, working with at-risk youth. So there's a lot of, um, and I'm not knocking any places, but there's a lot of places that don't always accept um, the circumstances or the life environments of the clients that are the most vulnerable and the most at risk. So we saw that people would be turned away or come to us like, oh, I've been dropped for therapy. I couldn't show up to my appointment because my car broke down. So 
I can't go there anymore, all these things. And so that's what we've really tried to keep as like our forefront. Like we want to do everything we can to one, reduce the stigma to mental health, and then also break down the barriers to receiving mental health. So a lot of our clients come from the Department of Juvenile Justice, come from the school system for kids that have multiple suspensions, multiple behavior issues, multiple truancy. And so we already know what we're getting ourselves into. We know that, you know, if we're getting a kid that's coming out of incarceration, they're probably not going to make their first therapy appointment, right? But I'm going to keep calling you or I might even show up at your house on Friday to catch you off guard to introduce myself to you. You know what I mean? I'm not going to say, well, no, you know, showed twice. Well, there's a reason that a lot of these clients are no showing because it's bigger than us. There's a lot going on in their environment that they can't control. Um, So of course they're not going to show up to their therapy appointment because they're just trying to survive. So that kind of um, just spun into Renisha and I worked together from 2016 to 2019. And then 2019, we're finally at a place to expand. So we now expanded. We have about 18 therapists. Some work full-time, some work part-time. Like 15, maybe 15, 16 case managers. Um, And say most of them, some are part-time. Most of them are part-time. And so now we've got this whole mental health agency probably over 90% of our staff is all black therapists and black case managers, which we love. I think we are probably the largest, if not one of the largest black owned mental health agencies in the city. We just realized that the other day. So that's super dope. That's Um, awesome. So yeah, we're all about, we, we work a lot, like I said, with juvenile justice, we work a lot in the school system, um, not just with students, but that's, kind of transpired to us working with their families because we believe in like family systems but also we've now had the opportunity to do workshops and speaking engagements with staff on how to handle and work with these youth and families um so things are i mean things are great it's it's really it's really been good i just love everything you just said i don't even know where to start right now because that's just that's something that i'm very passionate about too i'm not a therapist but I strongly, strongly, strongly believe that the people that kind of push away from seeking help are the ones that need it the most. The youth is our future. So they 100% need our undivided attention when it comes to mental health. And I think that it's absolutely horrifying that the way that our healthcare system is set up, and I'm not going to go into like details with this, but the fact that you said that people were turning them away because of the process when it comes to no show, you know, how many times you no show, then you're dropped. Like that can take a toll on them too, because a lot of kids have trust issues. They have abandonment issues. So if your therapist, someone that you're supposed to go to for all these things drops you Mm -hmm. like it just, it makes you feel even worse. So the fact that you all took on this role in our community to help these kids and these families, which I love that you bring in the families. Again, it starts with the families. I mean, that's how it all starts. And the school system, hitting up the school system is so important. Like, wow. And the fact that you're now going that extra mile and training and educating these teachers because again those kids I just remember when I was in school I mean all grades 
even college, everything. There was always a like a handful of kids that would lash out, that would make certain comments, that would skip school, that would do all these things and you'd notice. And the teachers don't know how to handle that. And yeah. it just makes it worse. So the fact, and a lot of them don't, they're not, one, they're not paid enough to like handle that. They're not mm-hmm. trained to handle that. But it's unfortunate because if those individuals had a therapist that they could rely on within the school system to have them, you know, be able to go to, to speak with, they would recognize like they're a legitimate, you know, wonderful human being. They're just going through a lot of shit. Yes. Yes. And yeah. And that's what we see a lot of times is the teachers take it personal, which anybody would. Mm -hmm. I mean, the school's, there's a lot going on in the schools right now. I'm going to, I'm going to be careful because I, I work in, I go work in the schools and I love them, but there's a lot going on. So these teachers are yeah. dealing with kids running out of class, disrupting class, getting cussed out on a daily basis. What the teachers don't realize is based on these kids' environment and their past. In some instances, it's, um, they haven't been taught anything different. They haven't been taught structure, routine, all of this. What they fail to realize is these kids want to have a relationship mm-hmm. with the teacher. You know what I mean? They want to. Now, it's difficult because the teachers can't see that. So they're like, what are you talking about? She's calling me a bitch every day. Well, she's doing that because she's testing you to see how often, you know, to see if you're still going to keep showing up for her. Right. So there's just a lot, a lot. And again, that's, that's where I found like the passion in. Um, I love the work that I've been able to do over the past six, seven years on working one-on-one, but I'm at a place where like, I really believe, I think, especially just everything that's happened in the city of Wolf over the past year in mental health as a whole. And I want to continue to have opportunities to impact groups of people on the importance of mental health and breaking down the stigma of mental health and, and all those different things. That's amazing. I'm so proud of you. Like you're Thank killing you. it right now. Thank you. It's a fun year. Despite <laughs> my mental challenging. breakdown. <laughs> yeah, right. It's all the things like you have to feel all the feels, right? I mean, just yeah. how it goes. I have another question regarding your therapy endeavor. So you said that your practice is primarily, if not all black mm-hmm. uh, individuals. And I, I would assume primarily because it's the West End, a lot of the clientele is as well. I've heard, and it makes a lot of sense now that I've educated myself on all of this stuff. Can you explain briefly why it's so important for black folks to be able to have a black therapist? Mm -hmm. Yes, no, that's a great question. So for one, um, I believe research shows that the relationship you have with your therapist is more important than the technique the therapist is using. So Mm -hmm. therapy is very much about creating a safe space, a non, you know, judgment-free zone to be your authentic self and all these things, right? And so just naturally, based on a million things we could all identify. Um, A lot of black people don't feel comfortable showing up being their authentic self with someone of a different race. You know what I mean? And that's just not, I think that white gets brought up often because let's be honest, like the counseling field historically, traditionally is a predominantly white field, has Mm -hmm. been a predominantly white male field. But I think that most people of color would feel the same way, even if it was maybe somebody from a different culture that wasn't African-American. And then I also think the tension rising across the nation 
um, in a time of civil unrest makes it even more difficult for black people to show up with a white therapist um, and talk about you know racial injustices and the protest and and things like this but definitely it's important to know that the person sitting on the other side is um, somebody that understands your culture and somebody that can understand maybe the way that you think or even just your um, the way that you talk you know that's something that comes up a lot that maybe some people call black people like aggressive or they're too loud or whatever and and so that changes the dynamics of relationship when really that's just the way they talk maybe they're really passionate about the you know the topic that they're talking about I think it's no different than in the LGBTQ community. Oftentimes they seek out to find professionals that are also LGBTQ because they can relate to them. And so there are, I know, I mean, I know several of my own friends in general who are black who don't have that need. Like they feel comfortable seeing a white therapist. So I think it really is personal choice, but definitely needs to be accessed for people in the black community or black individuals in general to have that access to a black therapist um, who can understand what they, you know, what they've been through and what they go through on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, it makes total sense in regards to black folks, LGBTQ, people mm-hmm. of color, everybody. I mean, you have to just kind of find someone that you feel comfortable with and that's hard to do. Right. You know, right. I feel like, like a lot of people have said finding a therapist is like kind of just, like you have to like doctor shop basically it's like shopping you're like you have to try things on try things out and it can get kind of tiring so do you have any tips to how you can go about finding a therapist that would be a good fit for you Mm -hmm. I think honestly especially for um, like I said I'm 37 so I would say in that 20 to 40 age range one of your best bets is to go to social media especially right now when when mental health is becoming more socially acceptable to talk about, those are some of the best posts I see. I'm looking for, you know, a black male therapist for my eight-year-old son. And you're going to get a million people that are like, oh, I love so-and-so. Oh, you need to go to so-and-so. So being specific. Also, I think a good, another good resource is the school system. So even if you're somebody that doesn't have someone in the school system, most of the school counselors and family resource coordinators have what's called a MOA or an approved MOA list. So it's all the agencies they've approved to come in the schools. Hmm. And those people know our agencies. They know who accepts Medicaid. They know who does sliding scales. They know who takes insurance. They know who will do school-based versus office versus in-home. They know the, the mental health therapist. So I always think that's a good resource. Psychology today, there's been a lot of controversy a little bit, but... I don't know all the ins and outs of that, but it is a good resource in that you can filter your search results by insurance, by zip code, by specialty, by therapy type, by man, woman, black, white, you know, all these different things. So you can narrow it down. Who else? Uh, I'm forgetting her name right now. She's a nurse practitioner and a realtor. I'll think of it later, but she started an app, I think called Melanated Healthcare. So for people of color, that's a good one. I think word of mouth is always the best or as far as social media and such or asking your friends because people, people know. The other important thing that I think people don't always realize when it comes to creating therapy, because I think a lot of times, especially for people in underserved communities, they end up going to therapy because they've been referred, referred by the school, referred by the court system, referred by their doctor, referred by CPS, you know, all these things. And that's something I never really paid attention to until... I was working with a client 
and um, they didn't want to do therapy. They were referred by somebody. And I'm like, you know, did you know that people go to therapy like in adulthood just because they want to? He's like, what? Like, he didn't even really, he thought, no idea. No idea that people just go to therapy to get help. So that created a conversation. Mm -hmm. So um, I always like to educate people and say, to your point about finding a therapist, it's okay to ask for like a 10 or 15 minute consult and you interview the therapist. Even if you are being referred from one of those agencies, you still have freedom of choice, which is the right to choose who your provider is. So nobody can tell you, you have to go to wherever. I mean, even if it's my agency and they're like, you have to go to Martin and Muir. No, you don't. Like you have the right to interview your therapist, ask them what sessions are like, ask them what type of practices, ask if they'll come to your home. Will they work with your family? And if it's not the right fit, it's not the right fit. Also, I think a lot of times in the therapeutic process, you think that because you've already opened up and spilled what's happened, you've got to stick with that person, even if you're not getting anything out of it. My thing to that is one, have that conversation with your therapist. Um, I'm very much so like a talk therapist and I don't give a lot of homework, but I've had clients sometimes are like, I really want some homework and then I can adjust my style and, and give them homework. So have that opportunity to create a conversation with your therapist to let them know what they need, but also give them that space, a good therapist. I've also had clients that are like, Hey, I feel like I need more. I need this. And I'm like, you know what? I agree. Like bring eating disorders, not my specialty. I had a client that that eventually came out. I'm like, look, this has been great. I would love to continue working with you, but I do know these two therapists that are really awesome at eating disorders and a great therapist will not be afraid to put you in somebody else's hands that can help you with whatever you're going through. So just shifting, I guess what I'm trying to say, shifting that mentality of what therapy actually is. And, and therapy is not a process where somebody's telling you what you need to do or telling you what to do about your life. It's just a space to learn tools, to learn coping skills, to look at things differently and should be like a really safe, neutral space to process past or even current or even future. Very good suggestions. I have never heard someone suggest social media. So that's, I mean, that's just like kind of a given, like that is where we're at right now. So I think that's a really good idea. And then too, I think it's awesome that you're trying to kind of shift the perspective for a lot of these kids specifically on what therapy is. And it kind of sounds like it's working. You know, they're like, oh, this, this doesn't have to be a punishment. Right. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm being forced to come here. That's kind of, I mean, I felt the same, well, different situation, but I felt the same way when I was younger because I was going through a lot of shit and I refused to acknowledge any of it. And I was being forced to go to therapy, which is a privilege at that age to be able to do so. But at the same time, you know, I felt like it was like there was something wrong with me, you know, like it was just something that I didn't want to do. But mm -hmm. the fact that you're willing to work with them and shift that conversation and have that conversation is really, really incredible. So you're doing amazing work. Like I'm, I am just so proud of you. Like, I'm so glad we met. I'm so I happy agree. we're collaborating on MindFest. Yes. I'm just so thrilled to know you and hear more about all the work that you're doing. I think it's absolutely incredible. I think you're going to change the community here in Louisville, which is something that we need. And yeah, you should just be really proud of everything that you're doing and accomplishing. Yes. No, thank you. Thank you. I really, I really am. And I'm so excited. I, I texted you that this morning. I'm like, this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. <laughs> I know. Um, I was like, oh. 
<laughs> but I love, um, I just love finding like-minded people who are passionate, like you said, um, not only about mental health, but the kids. That's where, mm-hmm. that's where my heart is too. Like the youth, kids, like just being a huge advocate for them because there's enough going on in this world. They don't need anybody else against them. Amen to that. Well, keep doing what you're doing. You're doing amazing work. For anyone that wants to follow you, where can they find you? So you can find me on Facebook. We have, well, on Facebook and Instagram is Martin Amir Counseling. And then also on Facebook is Silver Linings Coaching and Consulting. There you will find all things with coaching and um, mindsets and Show Up Summit, which is our women's empowerment conference, which has turned into this whole dope movement about inspiring women to show up for each other and show up for themselves. And yeah, that's where you can find me. So please, yes, come follow me, share, follow, (laughs) tell all your friends. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I love talking to you. And I think listeners are going to get a lot out of this episode. So I'm really excited to let them hear all that you had to say and all the great advice. So yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you to the listeners for tuning in to another episode of the Wondering Mind podcast. Until next time, maintain your brain and keep on wondering.